Okay, so let's get the mood going here. Imagine it, the coffee machine is bubbling and gurgling away in the corner. A fire is crackling in the hearth. Yes, I'm aware we're actually experiencing a tiny bit of a heat wave right now, but go with it anyway. The smell of musty paper and the subtle sweetness of vanilla is in the air, and you're gathered with some of your closest friends to talk about your latest find. I'm Ray, and welcome to another episode of Not Before Coffee, The Bookshop, where I talk about my most recent reads and possibly encourage you to pick up a copy. This week I'm looking at yet another author I haven't read before. In fact, I had never even heard of her prior to seeing this book on someone else's Goodreads shelves a few weeks ago. Should I actually admit that I'd never heard of her? That's not actually a good thing. That being the case, when I first picked up this book, I wasn't sure what to expect. The cover, an image of a mask showing a Medusa visage, all in alabaster with golden snakes for hair, says a lot while at the same time giving very little indication of what exactly I could expect from the novel itself. If you're a reader anything like me, then it's possible you'll be familiar with this cover, so you'll already know the book I'm talking about. Before actually opening the book, not literally, I read it on my Kindle, I didn't bother to check out any reviews as I wanted to make my own decisions, which is quite often the case. Being honest, when I first started to think about books for this season, this one, having recently seen it on Goodreads, was on the list purely because of the cover. Yes, I truly was judging a book by its cover. Sorry. Well, not sorry, really. I have a bit of a fascination when it comes to mythology in general, with a particular penchant for Greek mythology over Roman, despite the fact that one originated from the other. Want to know more about that? Then head over to my review of Circe. So, without any idea of the story and how Medusa was relevant, or if law was a character or simply referred to mythological law in general, I pressed that oh-so-convenient green one-click button. And, oh boy, as much as I often hate being part of that Amazon machine, I can't hate the speed of a Kindle purchase. Law is the 12th published book from American author Alexandra Bracken. Did you know that she's even written a novelization of Star Wars A New Hope? I didn't, but then I don't read anything Star Wars. The novel is called The Princess, The Scoundrel and The Farm Boy. Anyway, I'm not here to talk about that one. This book, just so you know, is not related to the podcast of the same name, nor has it got anything to do with the Amazon TV series. An ambitious writer, Bracken's first book was sold to a publisher while she was still in high school. Definitely have to admire that determination. I wish I had some of it. I'm just a tiny bit jealous of the fact that she had the get up and go to finish a book while still studying. I'm still writing a book I started five years ago in Nano. In 2018, one of her novels, The Darkest Minds, was adapted to screen by 20th Century Fox, starring Amanda Stenberg, Mandy Moore and Gwendolyn Christie. Interesting fact, she was born and grew up just down the road from where I currently live. At some point, it will no doubt appear on Disney Plus in the UK. 
Anyway, Law is her most recent publication, having been released in hardback and on Kindle in January of 2021. And as I previously mentioned, it was the cover that encouraged me to pick it up in the first place. But once I started the book, I was pulled in quite quickly. Every seven years, the Aegon begins. As punishment for a past rebellion, nine Greek gods are forced to walk the earth as mortals, hunted by the descendants of ancient bloodlines, all eager to kill a god and seize their divine power and immortality. Long ago, Lord Perseus fled that brutal world in the wake of her family's sadistic murder by a rival line, turning her back on the hunt's promise of eternal glory. For years, she's pushed away any thoughts of revenge against the man, now a god, responsible for their deaths. Yet, as the next hunt dawns over New York City, two participants seek out her help. Castor, a childhood friend of law believed long dead, and a gravely wounded Athena, amongst the last of the original gods. The goddess offers an alliance against their mutual enemy, and, at last, a way for law to leave the Aegon behind forever. But Law's decision to bind her fate to Athena's and rejoin the hunt will come at a deadly cost, and still may not be enough to stop the rise of a new god with the power to bring humanity to its knees. Had I read the back before I actually purchased the book, I probably would still have bought it, because the plot actually sounds fascinating. I, however, decided to go in completely blind, and the prologue surprised me. It was definitely not what I was expecting when it came to a YA novel. Okay, I should probably take a bit of a step back and explain what I mean before I go into the characters. If you, like me, are unfamiliar with Bracken's work, then you might be expecting something a little tame. A hint of romance, maybe some allusions to sex. It is made clear from the very start that we are being pulled into a battle in which there are many very determined combatants, as well as an equal number of unwilling ones. The battle will be violent, bloody, vicious, and many won't survive. The book actually starts with a ritual killing, an old god murdered by a new. The new god has a purpose, and just like his name suggests, he is full of wrath. He is the embodiment of Ares, the god of war reborn, and in order to earn his stripes and obtain the power of Ares, he had to take the god down while weakened and mortal. It doesn't sound like such a challenge when you say it like that, to be fair. Wrath, who was once an equally brutal mortal, named Aristus Cadmu, is searching for something that vanished during the last Aegon, seven years previously. This something is the key to his success in defeating all the gods during this cycle, and while he was successful in stealing it several years before, it was stolen from him and his ambitions depend entirely on him finding it before the seven days of the latest trial are done. At the point where the prologue ends and part one begins, it would be easy to think that this story actually takes place completely in ancient times, but this urban fantasy young adult novel is based in and around modern day New York, However, it's also based in a world that isn't quite so grounded in reality. Law, short for Melora, has been through some incredible ordeals in her young life. By the age of 10, she had survived two Aegons and lost her entire family. She had witnessed violence and its aftermath, and Aristos Cadmu had tried to buy her from her father and make her his wife at the age of 10. 
When we initially encounter Law, we have little awareness of her past. She could be any normal 17-year-old girl living in New York. Well, if that 17-year-old girl happens to be a skilled boxer who trained for over half her life to take part in a competition she has every intention of avoiding like the plague. Having recently lost her mentor, Gil, she is taking out her anger on anyone who dares to enter the ring with her. She has a lot of pent-up anger, but the more you get to know her, the more you realise that she has plenty of reasons to feel resentment, bitterness, and as though the world has done her wrong. It kind of has, to be fair. A multi-dimensional character, she is nothing like the Mary Sue I have grown incredibly used to seeing in young adult novels over the last few years. Katniss, Bella, Alina... Oh, that sounds so degrading. <laughs> but to be fair, Bella is probably one of the worst YA heroines I've ever read. And I've read quite a few. Law owns up to her faults, some of which she buried incredibly deep, though they have been eating her from the inside since the day she ran away from her past. Yes, she's good at fighting, but she's not very good at relating to people and it has nothing to do with being shy or in a strange place. It's out of pure self-preservation. Okay, I am going to stop comparing Law to the female protagonists in other YA fiction I've read in the last few years, I promise. As I got further through the book, I found out far more about Law's past and her present and all the things that go into making her who she is, many of which are incredibly heartbreaking. I also got to meet more of the characters who go on to play an important part in the developing story, so, what does make Law tick? The oldest daughter of a family descended from Perseus, the demigod who beheaded Medusa. See, the relevance of the book cover had to be revealed at some point. She is also the last of the line, the only remaining child. At the age of 10, during the last Aegon, she arrived home after sneaking out to do something that has since come back to bite her on the backside and discovered the sightless bodies of her parents and her two younger sisters, Olympia and Damara. She then went to the one place she should have been safe, the home of her mother's family, only to become the victim of an attempted rape. It's unsurprising that she continues to feel protective of her anonymity and determined to remain in control of her own destiny. I think anybody would, given those circumstances. For all the effort Law goes to in order to remain distant and detached, she's unable to scare off some people who are especially determined, particularly Miles, someone who is pulled into her world despite her best efforts to keep him a thousand miles away from it. Despite her need to stay out of the Aegon and the path of destruction it can lead to, she is pulled back in when someone from her past suddenly shows up an event that is even more surprising because of her belief that he was already dead. When Law and Castor first met as children, he was incredibly sickly, suffering from cancer. His family were dismayed that their heir was vulnerable and ill, as this meant that their family line was not as robust as they would like it to be. At times, the book makes it sound like the world these ancient families exist in is one that has little faith in if any at all, in modern medicine, and they're resolved to the fact that Castor is going to die. And in fact, in some ways, it sounds almost as though they want him to die so they can start again. 
they don't want him to get treatment and it's a mess. At least I think so. So how is it that all these years later he is still alive? The prophecy that these families live by when taken out of context seems unclear and difficult to understand. However, elements of it are less so. Specifically, reveal your strength and skills and I will reward you with the mantle and the deathless power of the god whose blood stains your bold blade. Though Castor is unable to recall exactly what happened, he has the power of Apollo and this makes him a target for Wrath, who is after immortality and in order to get that, he must be the last one standing. Funny thing is that when I read this for the first time, the first thing that came to mind was, there shall be only one. Yeah, from Highlander, I'm that kind of geek. From the moment that Castor comes back into Law's life, she is thrown back to the time when they were inseparable and she starts to open up just a little bit, but enough for people to get in and start making her care. Unlike Law, who has spent the last few years looking out for herself, always with one eye out for anyone who might be following her from her past, Castor is a carer, a nurturer. He trained to be a healer, and though he struggles to control the powers he received from Apollo, he is concerned for anyone who gets caught in the crossfire. Law is incredibly aware that this could get him killed, and it concerns her. Also along for the ride is Evander, one of Castor's many cousins, a close friend who was never very good in the height of battle, but has skills that make him a valuable and helpful person to have around when planning. He's a natural strategist. Evander and Miles initially strike up a friendship, with Evander reluctant to get someone involved in their deadly battle if they don't have to be. Eventually, this develops into something more as the friendship moves from just friends to natural attraction that is actually rather sweet to read about. They are both incredibly hesitant, but Miles takes the gauntlet and runs with it, the one who makes the first move. For all that Evander knows, he is not someone with law skills or caster's powers. He is only too willing to help both his friends because he knows he can. There are many other people who join the battle, but the most important one is Athena. By the time the book begins, the Aegon has been fought for several centuries and out of the original nine gods from the Greek pantheon, only Artemis and her sister are left. Artemis is insane with grief and wants nothing more than to kill the man who has possession of Apollo's powers, Castor. As far as she's concerned, he's a god killer who does not deserve to live. Which is quite frustrating for Castor because he doesn't remember how he got Apollo's powers in the first place. He doesn't remember killing him. Athena has a very different motive, and as though by magic, she has been placed in Law's line of sight. She pledges to keep Law safe, and on several occasions saves the teen from certain death at the hands of Wrath's followers. But is everything exactly as it seems? Is it ever? Along the way, there are several interesting conversations between Athena and Law, especially given Law is very resentful of the entire situation she's currently in. One of them struck me as particularly profound, with Law accusing the goddess of wisdom and strategy of abusing and punishing Medusa for something that was outside of her control. Bracken clearly put a lot of thought into this particular incident, and as someone who spent several years studying the classics, 
Athena's response was one I know was not in the poetry of Hesiod or in Ovid's Metamorphoses. If you want to read about the myths, okay, so Metamorphoses is Roman, I would recommend this book. I actually really enjoyed it when I read it a few years ago and I occasionally dip into it for little things here and there. Of course, there are several different versions of the reasons behind Medusa being punished. One story has it that she was a chaste maiden in the service of Athena until she was raped and abused in the temple by Poseidon. In another version, she has vowed to serve Athena and runs away when she falls in love with and later marries the god of the seas. Anyway, when Law confronts Athena, accusing her of being an unfair and unjust goddess, specifically referring to the punishment given to Medusa, Athena responds with, I transformed Medusa so that she would have protection against all those who would try to harm her. She was not defeated by my uncle's assault. She was merely reborn as a being who could gaze back at the world unafraid. I have to admit that I actually loved this explanation, but it still feels like it was a punishment of sorts. It isolated her, that's for sure. There were moments within the book that I felt the writing was convoluted and clunky. And despite the story itself being relatively quick, the constant back and forth in the chapters between past and present was sometimes quick enough that it gave me whiplash and it was quite a long book. It was almost 500 pages, which can make for a long read if you're not the quickest. Despite the fact that there were a lot of characters in the book, I did also feel that the supposed bad guy in the plot, Aristos Cadmu, aka Wrath, was not as developed as I felt he should be. Sure, we know his motives, but it would have been really good to know more about him. I know that he's the bad guy, but I like substance with my plot on occasion. Sue me. I have to say that I loved the fact that it ended definitively. I hope that this means it is the end with no unnecessary sequels. Sometimes I like them and they are needed, but I also love a book that offers you the opportunity to say, okay, I know what happened to them. The end. And this one did. There's no waiting another couple of years for the next book or to find out what happens afterwards. We know, and I love it. Though Law was clearly the central character, she wasn't perfect. She acknowledges her mistakes and has regrets, and they aren't all centred around which boy she should go to prom with. At times she came across as much older than her years, however, at the same time it's obvious that she's still in her teens. Despite this, I don't feel that it was a book only teenagers or young adults could relate to, partially due to the often mature writing style. All in all, if you like a bit of blood in your adventure, enjoy tales of Greek mythology with a modern edge, and like a strong female protagonist who is only too happy to admit that she has faults and definitely isn't a Mary Sue, then pick up Law. It is an exciting read. So, here comes the question and answer part. Did I enjoy it? Yes, though I think that there were moments that frustrated me. And a villain that I wanted to know more about, the book was well written and pretty packed with action. Will I read it again? Probably not. Even as I read it, I knew that it was a one and done for me. 
The concept was clever, but it was similar in several ways to the ideas introduced in Battle Royale and, later, The Hunger Games, with people fighting to the death for a single prize. Some of the themes are a little more mature, with mention of child abuse, rape, torture, and violent murders of adults and very young children. This did set it apart, but it doesn't say, read again. Would I recommend it to other readers? I think that if you're someone who's previously read anything by Bracken and liked it, then this is something you'll enjoy. The introduction of the Greek pantheon is what made it a must for me, because that truly is my jam. And <laughs> I think unintentionally, several of the books I've been reading actually have that Greek mythology or mythological theme behind them. So there it is, the most recent release from Alexandra Bracken, Law. If you like her writing, or fancy a book that is a little bit on the darker side, less Twilight, more The Hunger Games, then this is one for you. The last cup has gone in the dishwasher, the closed sign has been turned around, so it's time to end this episode of The Bookshop. I hope you enjoyed it and we'll come back again for more. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a review or just like it on Podchaser. I love hearing from you. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or over on Instagram at not before coffee podcast. Well, I have to go and pick another book from the shelf for next week and settle down with another cup of coffee. Until next time, this is me saying... Farewell.